friends, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Strength is more than muscle. Just ask Cedarville University men's soccer head coach, Brett Farrow. He finished his first Ironman in 11 hours, 7 minutes, and 53 seconds, coming in 248th overall among 1,709 participants. Listen as Brett shares about his true motivation, five-year-old friend Fritz, who is battling Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Enjoy this conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and joining me today on the program is Brett Farrow, men's soccer coach at Cedarville University. Brett became the head coach of the Yellow Jackets back in 2013, and his teams have collected an impressive 93 wins, 39 losses, and 23 ties, and this includes last year's 7-2-1 record during the shortened COVID season. Brett guided the Yellow Jackets to their first ever NCAA Division II championship appearance back in 2015, and they qualified again in 2019. He has coached the Jackets to consecutive Great Midwest Athletic Conference championships in 2013, 14, and 15, and he is a three-time GMAC Coach of the Year. But this is only part of Brett's story today, and frankly, it's the smaller part, because back in May of 21, Brett competed in the Tulsa Ironman that includes a 2.4-mile swim and a 112-mile bike ride and a marathon, which is running 26.2 miles. We'll get into more of the details on the podcast, but for now, welcome to the program, Brett. Thanks for having me. So let's get to the big question, Brett. You know, why would anyone, and I might say in their right mind, want to compete in an Ironman where you swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, and then run a full marathon, 26.2 miles, all in one day? Why would someone do that? That's a very good question, probably because they're not in their right mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got to be a little, I think you got to be a little sick in the head to want to do an Ironman, but... Um, for me, it was really, you know, try to challenge the body, see what the body can do. Um, I like the idea of not knowing if I could do it or not. That was that was a fun thought for me. Uh, when you decided to participate in the Ironman, uh, we were at the height of the COVID-19 here at Cedarville. We weren't working on campus. Uh, sports was not something taking place really uh, for you as a coach. So there's a little probably less things for you to do. So what, how did COVID play a role in your training? Yeah, I think, I think by and large COVID probably made training easier for me. I'm not sure that that is the same story for people around the country or people around the world, but our pools were open pretty much the whole time I was training and to bike and run, you don't need anybody but yourself yourself. So um, it definitely made things a bit easier for me when I started training. Like you said, we were in the height of the pandemic. We were essentially on lockdown, so I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, I wasn't meeting with people very often. We certainly weren't playing or training as a team. So I had more flexibility in my schedule to fit things in than I normally would. And then our our season got moved to the spring. So right. you know, I had from July until December where we weren't, at least traveling for games or going off campus to recruit and things like that, where, you know, that flexibility continued. Things definitely got interesting 
you know, towards the end of the training when we were in our season uh, and I was probably at the highest hour mark of training. Um, but I would say on the whole, COVID actually helped me. And what was a typical uh, workout with the swimming training part? Um, they're all a little bit different. So the swim training is interesting in that you never just go out and swim like you might with a run or a bike. You know, the distance piece isn't as much of an emphasis. Everything is interval-based. So, you know, it may be more speed work or it may be longer distance intervals. But um, the interesting thing with COVID is that the YMCA made you register for a 45-minute time slot. So I was constantly... Right. I had I had to get it in in 45 minutes. And if I didn't get it in in 45 minutes, I had to make back-to-back reservations and sit by the side of the pool for 15 minutes while they cleaned everything and then get back in okay. and start over again. So um, that was probably the most challenging because I had to schedule a time. Yeah. I had to make sure I was right on time um, and then pretty much always felt rushed. So where did the training uh, format come from? Did you make it up or was there some organization to help you train for this no i actually bought there's lots of plans online there's free plans there's purchase plans you can get a coach a lot of people do that i ended up buying a a prescribed plan that was pretty long i think it was like a 36 week long plan and pretty much just followed it to the t i wasn't sure if it was good or not good you know you read a few reviews online but that was pretty much it so i picked kind of the intermediate full Ironman training plan um, and and prayed it was going to do what it needed to do. Okay, so what motivated you to uh, do an Ironman? Yeah, I, I think there was a couple things for me. You know, one, it was always, it was always a little bit of a bucket list item for me. It was okay. one of those things that you hear about it and you see people that have done it. And I just always had this, this thing in my head. I'm like, somebody can... Somebody that can do that is incredible. Like I have so much respect for someone that can do that, train that long, put their body through that. Um, So it just always was a bucket list thing for me. And, you know, I'm wired in a way where I want to push myself out of my comfort zone. I want to get to the place where I'm not sure if I can do that. And that's uncomfortable. And I, I became a bit of a runner after I was done playing competitively in college. And, you know, that kind of became my thing to fuel my competitive spirit, to push my body. And the idea of doing another marathon or another half marathon for whatever reason at that point in time, just wasn't nearly as exciting. I wanted the next big adventure, the next big challenge. Uh, I think it ties into just the coaching environment for me as well. I, I always want to, be in it with my players. I want them to feel like, you know, I'm challenging myself as well. I'm pushing myself to grow as well, uh, whether that's physically, spiritually, mentally. Um, and you know, I think this was one way that in the height of the pandemic and we're all dealing with some hard challenges. And at that point in time, I was asking them to, hey, get ready for the fall season like it's going to happen. Right. Knowing in the back of my mind, it very well may not happen. Right. And, you know, this was an opportunity for me to take a risk as well. And hey, I'm going to sign up for this. I don't know if things will be open or not open by the time I get there. And, you know, I'm going to dive in with you guys and, and try to do my own struggle. Yeah. I think another reason why you um, did this, if I heard you correctly, is 
you were uh, starting to feel a little soft uh, physically. You were starting to get a little pudgy, you thought, and you wanted to get back in shape. Isn't that true? That's that's true. So You even threw away some ice cream. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny story. So in May, um, my wife's family is from Lincoln, Nebraska. So uh, we went out there uh, for a good portion of May, and we are both working remotely since neither one of us is from Ohio. We don't have family around to help with our two-year-old son. And so this was an opportunity to spend a little bit of time away. Uh, and while we were out there, we spent a week um, out at their lake house in Nebraska. There is a little bit of water in really? Nebraska, believe it or not. I didn't know that. Yeah, not a lot, but there's a little bit. And so while we were there, you know, we're enjoying the vacation, probably not eating the healthiest. And, you know, it, it kind of came up that I had sort of let myself go. It had been you know, eight or nine months since I had really done much exercise. Um, I had done some of the the workout program from the team last summer. And yeah. then from the end of that summer, really through the pandemic, I hadn't done much. And my wife was just joking about it that, you know, I was getting my, my dad bod and you know, I was getting comfortable doing nothing. And, you know, at the time I just kind of laughed it off. Um, but the next week we went back to Lincoln and I started uh, running a little bit. And on one of those runs, it was just terrible. It was like a three mile run, probably the perfect weather. It wasn't even that hot. And I was exhausted. I had to stop a couple times. My pace was horrible. Uh, and yeah, I went, I went back to the house. I went straight to the freezer. I threw the ice cream in the trash. I told my wife I was going to start counting calories and I'm going to, I'm going to get fit. I don't think the Ironman idea had fully been born at that yeah. point, but I was I was gonna lose some weight. I was gonna get fit, um, and I was gonna start eating healthier. And that was just kind of an instantaneous decision. Why I threw the ice cream away compared to probably a lot of other things that were in the house. Yeah, and it wasn't even our house. Um, <laughs> I I couldn't tell you, but but I did. Yeah, you did it. So you you bring up uh, your wife Shelly. Uh, pursuing a, an an Ironman takes a great deal of commitment on your end but also a great amount of sacrifice for your family. So Shelly and your two and a half year old son, Lincoln. Um, so they, they, they obviously had to sacrifice some, some time with you, but was Shelly able to um, come alongside you and encourage you as you trained? Yeah. Uh, so Shelly was certainly a part of the discussion, you know, when I proposed this idea and I tried to be as clear as I could with her, do you know what this means? The, the hours that this is going to take, are you on board? Is it a terrible idea? Um, I think she probably felt like it was a terrible idea, but told me that she was very supportive um, and, and loved it. Um, loved me, loved the process alongside me, uh, was very interested in, you know, the training, what I had to do. Um, she's, she's the greatest support I could ask for. And, you know, she would try to help in any way that she could, whether that be, you know, there was a few times where I had a long run. Maybe I'm running for a couple hours. She would she would take the bike and the trailer hooked up on the back of the bike with Lincoln in there, and she would ride just alongside me, and we would talk and chat That's nice. as I rode. So we were able to do that sometimes. Link isn't isn't so excited about that trailer. Um, <laughs> so sometimes we were limited, and quite honestly, a lot of my uh, training took place in pretty cold months. Right. So, you know, that made it difficult too, but... Yeah, it was a huge commitment from her to, you know, have that amount of time away from me when um, she's already parenting quite a bit and I'm in season and not at home. 
And so um, I'm really blessed to be able to have, you know, a supportive spouse that was on board and uh, willing to go along for the ride. So let's fast forward to the day of the competition. Was what was the most difficult part of the of the of the Ironman? Was it a particular event? Was it the, the swimming, biking, or running, or was it the the mental anguish, any pain? What what was most difficult for you on that day? You know, it's funny because I think when I look back on the day, the two time periods that I I think were like the hardest for me during the day were like as soon as my alarm clock went off and I realized okay we're doing this. And I immediately <laughs> felt sick to my stomach. Did you really? <laughs> yep. And about an hour after I was done and my body just started to shut down because probably because I hadn't eaten anything solid since 3 a.m. Um, those are probably the two hardest parts for me. The actual race, um, I had a blast. I think in terms of the disciplines, the run was certainly the hardest just because, uh, one, I think it's the hardest on your body with that amount of pounding, and also the swim and the bike. To some degree, you're holding back a little bit because you know you have to run a marathon at the end of the day, and by the time you get to the marathon, you know you don't need to leave a whole lot in the tank. So probably that last five or six miles on the run, your body starts talking to you a bit more than the rest of the day for sure. And what was your time? What did you finish the time in? I finished in 11 hours, 7 minutes, and 53 seconds. Don't you think you could have gotten under 11, min- 11 I hours? I do think I could have. You know, I didn't I didn't do most of the race on time. You know, people always talk about time goals, and I had one, and then I didn't have one, and then I had one, and then I didn't have one, going yeah. back to the whole training question. Yeah. You're like, I don't know if I can even do this. Forget right. the time. I just want to finish it. And that's really where I was by the time I entered the day. I'm like, you know, I just want to enjoy the day. Um, I knew my time coming out of the swim and with the bike, you don't really have a choice just because you're staring at a bike computer the whole time. You have a general idea of where you're at. Right. Um, and then I ran the whole marathon on heart rate. So I didn't really know how I was doing or where I was doing, but certainly you cross the finish line and the next day and the days to come like seven minutes, there's seven minutes somewhere. I had to stop on the bike to pee like five times. So that's <laughs> probably five minutes right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, I guess that's what keeps you coming back for another one, maybe. Sure, but I mean, the the time was still very good in in your age bracket, and uh, you f- you finished in the upper what third? Yeah, I think so. I think I was two hundred and forty something out of seventeen hundred something. Yeah. So uh, I think my wife told me it was like thirteenth percentile or something, yeah. which was cool. I mean. Uh, I think my my goal, or at least the the times we were working off with my wife, were just because they wanted to follow along. They were she was there and trying to catch yeah. me on the on the road it was somewhere between twelve and twelve and a half hours, and so to finish at eleven oh seven. That's good. Uh, I think everybody was happy they could yeah. go get dinner earlier and yeah, yeah, uh, be done with the day. Now Shelley was the photographer for for your run. I, I saw a lot of yep. her photos and it was interesting when I look at the photos, you know, many of them, maybe all of them. I mean, you're smiling. I mean, you're not, it's not like you're in pain. You're just smiling. You look like you're having a great time. Yeah, I, I really did. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I, I felt very much alive during that event. Yeah. Um, and I just had a blast. I mean, 
I don't know when I'll be able to do it again. And like you said, it's a big commitment from myself. It's a big commitment from my wife and my family, but, um, it was an awesome adventure and I, I really did enjoy the day uh, and had a ton of fun. That's great. Um, at the heart of your, your Ironman was, really was to raise awareness uh, for and support a five-year-old Fritz Krieger uh, of Mesa, Arizona, who was dealing or who is dealing with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. How were you able to connect um, with Fritz's story through the Ironman? Yeah, so the Krieger family is a family that we've become good friends with out in Mesa. Uh, we got to visit with them when, when I did the half Ironman in Arizona in October. And Sarah, uh, Fritz's mom, played uh, soccer in college with Shelly. So yeah. that's kind of the connection, and we've grown to know them in part because you know, some of the leading scientists in the world for Duchenne muscular dystrophy are in Columbus. And they? so they come out pretty much every year to have appointments there. They spend some time. They bring the whole family because they really don't want, you know, visits like this to be associated with, you know, the disease and the challenges as much as, you know, time to get away with the family. And so uh, we've really gotten to know them. We've had a chance even to incorporate them with the, the soccer team here a few times and do some benefit games. And, you know, it, it came to me as I was – I was working out one day. I think I was on a long run, and it just, you know, Fritz Fritz jumped out at me as, you know, this is bigger than just you and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a kid who most likely will n- never be able to do something like this. Right. Uh, kids with Duchenne, you know, often lose the ability to use their limbs in their early teens and, you know, often pass away in their mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... They're, they're working hard to find a cure for that. They're trying to find um, answers for Fritz and hopefully, you know, prolong life for him. And, you know, I, I saw this as just an awesome opportunity to use my platform as doing an Ironman to not only inspire other people, but really um, love on them, strengthen them in some way, encourage yeah. them, um, and and hopefully bring other people along in – Kind of understanding what Duchenne is, and yeah. you know, maybe getting on board with uh, their fight to find a cure for it. Yeah, and, and uh, one way you were doing all that is on your on your race gear, you had the motivational phrase "strength is more than muscle" imprinted on your your clothing. Uh, why was that phrase so important to share? Yeah, strength is more than muscle is kind of their tagline for their their nonprofit, Fritz and Friends, and um, has become. You know, I think a uh, a rallying cry for, you know, what they're trying to do. And it sort of stemmed from when they first found out about his diagnosis and, and the weakness that they found themselves in and the challenge, just the strength that they found from other people, from, you know, a warm meal, a listening ear, uh, a shoulder to cry on and, um, it, it just was something that really resonated with them that, you know, here's Fritz who, you know, has, has a muscular issue where, you know, his strength isn't going to be from his muscle, but he has so much strength in him as he's fighting this. And I think that's so true in all of our lives that, you know, 
physically we can all do different things and we're all, um, you know, blessed or challenged in different ways, but, you know, strength doesn't necessarily come from muscle. And I think, you know, for us as believers, certainly strength comes from, um, the Lord and, you know, having life in him. And, you know, for me going through this, this Ironman process, you know, I found that to be very true a lot of times in the training where, you know, the strength to do what I needed to do really wasn't about, you know, what my legs felt like or what my arms felt like, but, you know, the motivation from others, the, the ability to use my gifts, uh, in a way that's honoring the Lord, the way that I had an opportunity to hopefully encourage, um, the people around me. Yeah. So, um, while you're running, this is kind of a two part question. While you're running, I presume people saw your gear and saw that phrase. Mm-hmm. So part one, the question is, did anyone respond to that? And then how did the family respond to you just completing the marathon with Fritz in mind? Yeah, uh, people did respond. It was cool to hear people shout it out and just okay. say strength is more than muscle. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to have in-depth conversation. No you know, about it, but just to hear that, you know, is a constant reminder that, Hey, it's, it's about something bigger. Um, continue to move, continue to work, continue to, um, you know, get the job done for Fritz. Yeah. And, you know, the family, I think really was encouraged um, by it. Just the opportunity for, uh, their voice, I think, in a small way to be a little bit louder yeah. where more people are hearing about uh, what they're doing in a place that, um, you know, they're not around a whole lot uh, in the endurance scene. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that they were they were strengthened by that. You know, going back to the strength is more than muscle. Yeah. I think they were strengthened by, you know, our willingness to do that and be a part of their story and like I said before, try and, you know, try and get in the ring with them and fight a little bit. Yeah, it's great that you did that, and it, um, it was great to um, shed some light on uh, a really serious uh, illness or disease, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, uh, a cure can be found uh, relatively soon. Um, as I pivot now toward the end of the podcast, uh, I want to bring this all your experiences with the Ironman back into the college coaching arena. So as a college coach, I've heard you say that you never want to push your athletes to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. So obviously you're not going to have your players run or do an Ironman, but how will your experiences in training and then the competing in the Ironman help you as a coach this coming season and beyond? Yeah, I think it's always helpful to be able to reflect and know that the things that you tell your players that you care about and the things that you're asking them to care about and take ownership of, you're willing to take ownership as well. I think in leadership, nothing's more hollow than a leader that doesn't do what they talk about. And so I think for me, you know, as I ask my players to – you know, do their summer workouts to prepare properly to, you know, get up early sometimes for practice when they don't feel like it. Um, 
this is something that I've learned a lot of lessons from that I can go back to and resonate. Right. I, I think players want coaches that can resonate with them on some level. Sure. And like you said, I'm not going to be asking my players to do an Ironman, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's a relatable thing yeah. in terms of it's difficult. It takes time. It takes commitments. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to excel. And, you know, I think there's a lot of conversations, you know, individually that I can, I can resonate with those players yeah. and the, the challenges that they're facing as yeah. college athletes. Your, yeah. Your record is 93, 93, 39 and 23. And, um, so you're seven wins from a hundred. You think your experiences in COVID, um, will help you be even a better coach than what you've already shown that you are. I hope so. I think COVID for all of us was a challenge that we had to face and everyone had, you know, different nuances to that challenge in how it affected their lives or their families. But um, I, I think, you know, for me, it was an opportunity to reflect, to look at how we do things, look at how I coach. Yeah. Um, certainly, appreciate certain things that we're able to do as a program that we weren't able to do this year. Right. You know, one of the things was we didn't get to spend as much time together as we would want to. And I missed that. And yeah. I, I think the guys missed that as well. And so um, I hope we can use this challenge to become a better program, to become a better team and cool. you know, hopefully become a better coach. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's close the podcast on the spiritual note. Um, I'm interested in really hearing your spiritual journey. It's like, when did Jesus really become central in your heart and your mind and your life? Yeah. So for me, I, I grew up in a Christian home yeah. and I was surrounded by uh, faith. I was surrounded by strong people of faith. I was surrounded by, um, Church life, you know, I grew up in a family where we're in we're in church a couple of times a week, and you know, I think for me, you know, you ask when did Jesus really become central to my life? It it probably wasn't until um, I was in college or even yeah. after college where this idea that I'm a new creation in Christ yeah. and He wants to have a personal relationship with me took hold mm -hmm. in my life. I think I always understood that idea and I understood and came to know the truths of the gospel at a very young age. But in terms of when that really became my own, it was probably uh, in college. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of my, my early growing up and even my teenage years, I, I always say I, I did a lot of the right things for probably a lot of the wrong reasons. Right. You know, my motivation was... Yep to please people, uh, to please my parents, to not get in trouble, yeah. um, to create a certain um, internal perception of myself probably. Yeah. And, you know, I had a chance um, to be away during college and really uh, figure out who I wanted to be. What did I really stand for? What was important to me? And, you know, that is where I think Jesus really became real to me in terms of my life that, you know, Jesus didn't die for our sins in some, you know, far off place. It, it was a, a 
hit home moment where, you know, he died for me. He wants to save me from my sins. He wants to live inside me. He wants to give me all these things um, and really started to marinate on the truths of the gospel and the things that uh, scripture tells us we are in Christ Yeah, that, you know, I think, you know, for the first 20 years of my life, I really saw those as, you know, those are truths about Christ, not so much about me. And, um, you know, from, from that point on, it has really been, you know, a, a journey of ups and downs and, and trying to grow, uh, more into his likeness. You know, scripture tells us that, you know, we're heirs to the throne and that, all these things we we already have and you know it's really been a maturing process for me how do you grow up in those things what does that mean um you know as a husband what does that mean as a a dad and you know it's funny how the lord continues to sanctify us as we get right. older with with these new opportunities but new challenges right um you know i i don't think i ever realized how selfish i was until i had a kid wow um and you know you don't have nearly as much time for yourself um, as you think you do. And just, you know, learning how to die to self and, yeah. and you know, make him known in everything that we do. I think you're, thanks for sharing your story. I think your story is uh, more common than people may think. Um, I, I resonate with your story. Um, it's very easy as a, as a young person to do all the right things for the, the wrong reasons. And you really look good in the church, you really look good among the people. But, um, for me, like, like yours, it was, it was, uh, college or post-college where, uh, Jesus really became central and really important. And I understood more and had that relationship. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, my last question, and it's similar to the one I just asked, but, um, at the central part of this podcast, our goal was to tell Cedarville stories for God's glory. So with that said, how do you hope or believe you are bringing God glory through your everyday life? Man, that, that is a tough question. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, you know, we talk within, within the program and I think it really stems from, you know, what I believe, uh, we talk within the program about this idea of for him. And, you know, we see in, in Luke, when Jesus says, what's the most important commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with mm-hmm. all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that, that for me, is a, a central uh, verse and a central idea to my life of how do I take whatever I'm doing, whether it's coaching soccer, being a dad, being a husband, just being a normal guy on the street, and really do it in a way that honors the Lord. You know, he doesn't want us just in church or he doesn't just want us in, you know, our quote unquote spiritual environments. He right. wants us uh, and wants to be in relationship and wants to live through us in, in every facet of our life. And so, you know, I really try to um, cling to that. You know, I go to prayer on that verse all the time of, you know, what are ways that I need to grow up in that? What are ways that, you know, I'm not doing that? Um, and, and I think just try to consistently be a person that's growing and learning and, you know, challenging myself to, um, 
get outside my boundaries yeah. uh, that I set for myself because I think that's where uh, the Lord becomes um, most in control of our lives where yeah. we're uncomfortable and right. we're not sure. Because right. um, I think I know I do, and I think a lot of people have a general tendency to do a lot of things from our own strength. And, you know, when we're in a position where we're uncomfortable, we're really forced to allow the Lord to to be the strength that, that he desires to be for us yeah. and, and speak through us, uh, use us. Yep. Um, and so that's what I try to do. And, and hopefully, you know, people are able to come to know him through that. Yeah. That's great, Brett. And um, mm. the spiritual life is exciting, especially when you surrender and the Lord puts you in positions where you never thought you'd be. Thank you for sharing your story of the Iron Man, how, how Jesus really is important to you in your life as you lead your family. And uh, I hope you have another great season in, in soccer. And thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.